You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. We need to be a church that believes and believes firmly that impossible things are made possible by Jesus. And so if you will, please stand with me. We're going to be in Luke's gospel, the first chapter. We're picking up about halfway through the chapter, and I'll explain to you why a little bit later, but you see clearly why in verse 26, because we're seeing the birth of Jesus foretold. And notice the historical references. Notice how particular Luke is in tying this story to history. He says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now notice verse 37, a key verse for us today and in this entire series as we march towards Christmas. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. God, we pray that you will allow us to see miracles, that you will give us faith, That as we use our minds to make sense of this world, the chaos in this world, that from time to time you will let us uh, peer beyond the veil, see beyond what can be seen, and realize, God, that you are real and at work in this world. We want to join you in that work. And I pray that as we go towards Christmas, that you will inspire us to see what cannot be seen and to believe, Lord, your word, and let that be our foundation. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to start with a very controversial statement. The Bible is about God. Is that controversial to you? Of course it's not controversial. That's the most obvious thing that I could possibly say at the beginning of a sermon. The Bible is about God. But the funny thing is, is that so many people approach the Bible as if they're, they're looking for, you know, some just encouragement or something to help them through a hard time. And all those things are fine. But never forget that first and foremost, the Bible is about God. It's about God, what he has done what he is doing in our lives today, and what he will do in the future. Put simply, the Bible is about a God who does everything. 
Now, I start there because if we are going to be the church that God wants us to be, we must believe that God is able to do everything. And when we read the Word of God, we need to see historically what He has done. But when we get into like the book of Acts, we see that what God has done is something he still wants to do. He saved people in his ministry here on earth, but he has anointed his church to be an agent of salvation in the world today. And when we get to the book of Revelation, we realize that in the end, it's all about God as the people of God gather in heaven and worship him forever. It is all about God. But as I think about this, if we have a God who does everything, why can't we accept that nothing is impossible? And I want you to realize that so often, those of us who have been uh, people of faith, Christians for many years, I think that we soon lose that wonder and that majesty, not just of the Christmas story, but just of our story. We tend to forget all that God has done in our lives to save us, and then we start putting a limiting factor on what God is going to do in our midst today. In fact, the real limiting factor is our sin. In this divine drama, Sin is the limiting factor. When we sin, we shortcut, we, we cut off some of the blessings that God wants for us. As I thought about what it would be like to preach this sermon, it occurred to me that as we've talked about getting rid of our debts, as we are thinking about moving forward into the future God wants for us, this is the kind of message that God needs to lay upon all of our hearts. What we want to ask God to do is to do something impossible in our midst, and, and that really began on the day of your salvation. You were impossible, and yet God saved you. And the task around us in the world seems impossible, but we believe that God wants to save them. And in this season of love and light and miracles, should we not begin to believe that God is going to do something great in our midst? The whole story starts with a miracle. It starts with the virgin birth. And I want to just make this point. If we cannot accept the virgin birth, which is so clearly taught here in the, in, in the Gospel of Luke, then we're really going to have trouble with the whole story of Jesus. Because the whole story of Jesus is about a God who is coming into this world and bringing his power into this world. We struggle with this today, brothers and sisters, and let me just be honest about it. It's one of the reasons we struggle with this is because we tend to put facts and reason on the highest pedal, uh, pedestal. Now, let me just say this. Uh, facts and reason, are they're not a bad thing. Having facts, living your life according to the facts, especially if you're an accountant, is a good idea. If you're an engineer, fantastic. A doctor, even better. But we know in this world that sometimes there's something more going on around us. And though I think science is one of God's best gifts to the world, I believe in a God who stands above science. In fact, I would say he is not limited by science. Science in the sense of just what we can see and verify and repeat. I believe in a God who is way beyond all that and that process. And the beautiful thing is this. Just when we need help from above, it seems like God invades our world. And this is ground zero. The Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus' birth, this is the ultimate invasion. But I believe that that invasion continues to happen. It happens every time someone receives Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. In that moment, someone opens their heart to a message and a hope from another world. And when that happens, that is truly the miraculous 
And if we as God's people believe in the miracle of salvation, then we need to also believe that God continues to work miracles out through his people doing great things in the world. It's important for us to see the connections here between our faith and and even logic. One of my favorite authors, Malcolm Muggridge, again, forgive his last name, it's not the best last name I've ever heard, but he says this, faith transcends reason, but does not contradict reason. I think that's a beautiful description for us today. We believe that we have a God, we believe in a God who transcends reason, but here's what's beautiful, he won't contradict that. We can go to the Word and we can see a cogent, coherent story leading us to the reality that we are sinners, that God understands that, and He sent us a Savior. And that's what Christmas is about. But if we are going to do the work that God has called us to do, we need to take this Christmas miracle seriously and believe that those miracles are still happening, that God still wants to work through His people. As a pastor over the years, I can tell you that there are many times when I've been leading the church and tried to lead the church and with youthful exuberance made mistakes, but there were other times where I really believed that God was working in my heart and had given me a vision for God's people, and it just was shut down. Now, as a young man, 19, 20, 21 years old, it was really hard for me to understand how that as pastor, I could get such a clear idea from God of what he wanted us to do and then go into a meeting and be told, no, absolutely not, we'll never do that. As I've thought about that over the years, and I'm very happy to say that in the last 20 years anyway, I have watched God move and lead uh, churches that I've been a part of to do some pretty impossible things. So I've seen the victory on the other side of this. But here's what happens, and I just want you all to think about this for a moment, a little illustration. One of the reasons why the church sometimes is, or very oftentimes, is not doing much for God is because we have too many people who live in what I'm going to call the realm of the possible. And let me describe this realm to you. The king of the realm of possible is King Reason. By the law of that land, every dream is put through the gauntlet of statistical analysis and logic. Now again, not all bad, but that's how uh, decisions are made in this land. Um, Thereby, and therefore, many times what we see happen in this realm of possible is we will hear more about what can't be done than what could be done. And what's really curious to me is over the years I've realized how many people in the church live in just the realm of possible. It seems like as they hear a vision from God, they may have a moment where they think that that might be possible, and then they start doing the calculations. And then all they can see, if they are from the land of this realm of possible, they only see the dangers, the challenges, and the sacrifices inherent in such a God-given dream. A person from the land, the realm of possible, is efficient, but not necessarily a dreamer. At times, we need both. We need people who are efficient in the church, yes, but we need people who are brave enough to dream the dream that God has for them, to take the leap of faith. And those who are from the realm of possible simply won't jump. I will tell you that people who only live in the realm of the possible are not very fun at Christmas parties. It's just a fact. People from the realm of possible, I've heard it called Realville before, they're not bad people. They just have limited imagination. But let me tell you what happens when God shakes up such people. A church is never the same. I think all of us come from Realville to some extent. We are taught 
scientific method, empiricism. We are taught to be logical. I think they still teach that. I don't know. I hope. There's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, just the very evidence of your salvation ought to show you that God wants to do something bigger, that he has miracle-working power. The God who saves people can take a church full of saved people and do big things in the world. That's the, the message, I think, not just of the, uh, of the Christmas story. That's the message of the Bible. Gabriel shows up here in Luke 1, 26 through 38, and we see here, in my view, the moment when two people, Mary and Joseph, exchanged their passports from the realm of possible into the realm of the impossible. They began to believe in the kingdom of God and all that comes with it. And so let me just say this as we begin here today, as we look at this amazing story, and as I walk you through kind of the narrative, and, and, and again, to remind ourselves and refresh ourselves of this beautiful story, I think these truths are something you need to hold on to as we, as we set the stage for what is to come. Listen to this. One, if an impossible thing happens, the Holy Spirit is involved. That's lesson number one. What I'm talking about here, friends, is not human creativity. I'm talking about when God breaks through. When we start seeing impossible things happening for God, the Holy Spirit is behind it. It's not a program. It's not a plan. It's not a preacher. It's the Holy Spirit. Second, God uses his angelic host to help us understand impossible things. Now, in this case, you see it's Gabriel. I'm not saying we're going to have that kind of encounter, but I believe that the Spirit of God works through his word and confirms his message to us even to this day, and I still do believe that God sometimes shows up because we're, what's the word, knuckleheads? <laughs> maybe, maybe sometimes we're going to have to have a breakthrough like, like this, an angel coming down. Number three, impossible things radically change reality for individuals and nations. So I want you to understand what I'm talking about here today is not some like minor initiative that will like shake us up for a couple of weeks, but when God really gets a hold of a church, it redirects that church in ways that are uh, phenomenal and undeniable. And I believe that God wants to bring that kind of revival here to Ridgecrest. And the fourth thing, only people of faith can appreciate and fully benefit from impossible things. The world can see it. But only those who have Christ in their heart can appreciate it for what it is. Like, we know how limited we are. We know our weaknesses and our downside. And so when God begins to do these great things, we know that it had to be from God. We have to continually remind ourselves of that and proclaim that to the world. Let's walk through the story very quickly. Verses 26 through 33. And let's determine what sort of greeting this might be. Now, in Luke chapter 1, we actually have two birth stories. Remember a moment ago I said that we're starting kind of halfway through the chapter and there's more before. Well, what happens before is the story of Gabriel going and telling another couple, a couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, that they are going to bear a child, a son. This is the story of John the Baptist and his coming into the world. It is a fascinating story, but it's different. Because they were a married couple. He was a priest. He was serving in the temple when he found this out, whereas Mary was a virgin. Now, the reason we can say this with, uh, with certitude is it's repeated three times, twice in verse 27 and once in verse 34. We have a lot of teachers in the room with us here today, I know. And my guess is if you repeat something three times to your class, it's probably on the test. Right? 
If you say it three times, it's going to be on the test. Well, listen, the virgin birth is mentioned three separate times in just a handful of verses. Therefore, it is an important part of the story. And it makes the story of Mary and Joseph very different. Another thing is Zechariah is doing his work in the temple. And his revelation from, from the angel comes in the context of kind of a worship environment. That makes sense. But with Mary, it comes out in the middle of nowhere, a town called Nazareth. Uh, archaeological evidence shows that it was a, a very small, very humble, a very poor area. It is not the kind of place where you would think some an mighty angel would show up. But that's exactly where the angel shows up because Mary is... Is there. These visions are six months apart, according to verse 26. Mary, at this point, when she has her vision from the Lord, when she gets her message from the angel, she didn't know about Elizabeth and her miracle, which was a miracle of conceiving a child after many years uh, of not being able to have a child. Now, this story here, when we read it, we, if we know our Bibles, we have hints here of Isaiah 7, 14, that famous passage in Isaiah that speaks of the virgin birth. But I have to tell you, I don't think Mary had that verse on her mind. I read something this morning that said that Mary was most likely illiterate. I think that's absolutely hogwash. I think that's modern people thinking that all ancient people were dumb. I think Mary probably read and was, was fluent in at least three languages. That's my guess. I see so much evidence from that time period of um, uh, multiple languages being a part of that culture. And I think this was a, a culture that stayed so strong throughout the years because they were literate. They wrote things down. They taught things to their children. Anybody that tells you that these are illiterate peasants, they just don't know what they're talking about in my view. I think these were smart people, educated people, not in the sense of having degrees from universities, but these were people who worked hard to understand their Bible and the world around them. And so when Mary is faced with the challenges that she's faced with, she doesn't go to a Bible verse. She doesn't know what to do. She responds exactly like any woman in this room would, uh, hearing from an angel, um, uh, being a virgin, and, and, and saying that you're going to be with a child. It's like, say what? That's the, the feeling that you get here. She doesn't go back to Old Testament. She's not quoting scripture. She's just being a human being. But I want you to see she was a very special human being. She was the favored one of the Lord, we are told here. We are told in verses 28 and 29 that the Lord is with her. And she was troubled by this language. And I think we can understand why. She was so humble. She could not imagine that she would be chosen for something like this. To be fair with Mary, we need to say this. There is nothing in this world that can prepare us for encounters from another world. Human beings don't have a natural gear for the supernatural. So, so listen to me. What Mary goes through here is something that I see every believer and every church has to accept. When God starts moving around us, we really don't know what to do with it. We don't exactly have a gear for it, but we must trust that God's grace is sufficient and that he will show us the way. Look at verse 28, and I want you to see two words. The words are greeting and favored. Look at them. Greeting and favored. At the root of both of these words is the Greek word for grace. In other words, this whole story is about God's grace pouring out from heaven into Mary and Joseph. Verse 30 shows us that this is a grace greeting and that she need not be afraid for she has found favor. Mary found favor from the Lord. And what is that favor? Well, the long-awaited Messiah had come. 
Let me just show you. In verses 31 through 33, there are a list of things mentioned here, and I want to just read them off to you. These are important as we build to the Christmas season. What does Gabriel say about what's going on and what this child will be? First, uh, it will be a son. Second, his name would be Jesus. Third, he will be great. Fourth, he will be called the Son of the Most High. Fifthly, he will be given the throne of David and rule over the sons of Jacob. And sixth, he will reign forever. Now, I'm going fast here, but I want you just to realize in those six bullet points that you see up there, you have a tie back to every major prophecy about the Messiah in the Old Testament. I was thinking about it this morning and got too many laughs over this, but you know, we, we would all be lucky to have Gabriel as our preacher because he gets right down to the point. You know, those of you who are hungry and want to go to lunch earlier, this, you need Gabriel because he gives a six-point sermon in like a minute. And what he does is he preaches the whole Old Testament about the Messiah in like a minute. But he's an angel and I'm not, so bear with me. So look at this. It's amazing. This is heavy-hitting theology in just a few verses, the whole Old Testament hope of the Messiah. And yes, Look at Mary's response. She is greatly troubled. I want to show you something here, too. When it says she was greatly troubled, that's a phrase, two-word phrase in English, but in the Greek, it's one word, and at the, at the very middle of that word is the Greek word for logic. In other words, uh, Mary hears this message that she's going to bear the Messiah. Like She hears all the things I've hoped for from the Hebrew Scriptures, her Bible, are coming not just in my generation, but coming through me as a vessel. She was greatly troubled. I would say the translation could be here. She could not find logic in the angel's message. Because Mary, like us, struggles when we start to hear a message from another realm. Let me tell you about this message. It's one of grace. It is a heavy greeting. It is a heavenly greeting. Mary could not have understood how much grace was being poured out on her. But I want to say this. I don't think she had any idea how heavy this message was. The burden that would come on her heart. Mary could not fathom it in this moment. But it was a heavenly greeting, a reminder that God had broken through. And I believe that these verses are preparing us for the miracles of Jesus, the signs and wonders and power from God that would break through because of his ministry. We see in these verses here in Luke, we see the preamble to what God would do. And what God was going to do required this, point number two, a step outside the realm of possible. Mary and Joseph took, I would say, the express train out of the realm of possible. In a moment, they had to leave all the logic and all the things they thought about their world behind and trust in the word of God. To receive Gabriel's message was to take a huge leap of faith, a step outside of realville. Mary's response to the angel is the most natural response imaginable. She says there, how will this be since I am a virgin? Verse 34, that is a phrase that has been poured over by Christians for 2,000 years now. The, the idea of the perpetual virginity of Mary, which some believe in, uh, comes from this passage. But I'll tell you, it doesn't need to be complicated at all. This is a woman who is just asking a simple question that deals with simple biology. And I want you to realize that Mary, I, I love this passage because it doesn't have a mythical sound. These are the questions that normal people would ask in extraordinary circumstances. How can this be? Now, I want you to realize this. We can't set aside our logic even when we have deep faith. 
It is okay to ask hard questions. But when God confirms that he's at work in your life, you need to be willing to take the hard steps to be faithful. Listen to me. It is good to ask questions, but at the end of the day, we need to walk with God and go whichever direction he's called us to go. The Gospel of Luke begins with the encounter between Mary and Gabriel because, like Mary, we all must make a choice. And in this room today, I want to ask you, are you going to remain in the realm of possible or will you be brave enough to believe in a God above possible that he invades this world from time to time? Do we believe in the power of God or do we only put our faith in the powers of our minds, logic, and reason? This story really pushes us. It pushes us beyond the possible. It pushes us beyond what we can do in our own power. And it's all about faith. And here's the question. Will you trust in the Holy Spirit who makes impossible things possible? Gabriel's response to Mary's good question in verse 34 is both one of beauty and mystery. It's beautiful because it speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit. But anytime you're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, friends, that's mysterious. The way the Spirit of God works, words always seem to fail. But notice verse 35. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. I could play around with those words with you all day long. I could show you what what they mean and could mean. But ultimately, what we see here is, is that Jesus was born into this world because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he was born in such a way that he would be born into sinless perfection because that's exactly what you need. Verse 35 tells us that he would be holy. We need a holy God to save us from our unholiness. We need someone like Jesus because otherwise it is impossible for us to be saved. But we are told here nothing will be impossible with God. God is able to make a barren woman bear a child. That would be John the Baptist. And that same God is able to take a virgin and cause her to conceive, and that would be Jesus. However you look at it, both of those situations from an outward biological, real-world perspective looked impossible, and yet God made them possible. And the Lord is trying to open our minds and our hearts to the reality that if we are the servants of God, he can take things that look impossible and make them possible. And I have seen it enough over the years where people who live by faith, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the resources, they didn't have the strength, they were from small places, they were ignored by the world, and yet people like Lottie Moon were able to change the world because they kept walking in faith. And the church today must believe in that same regard, that we are a people of God, a God who does amazing things through us. I can't say it enough. Your salvation is an impossible thing. If you get away from all of the religious um, cushion you've put around you, when you go back to that first moment and you are honest about the fact that there was a moment when you were lost in your sins, you were dying because of your sins, and a God of love and grace and mercy came down and saved you, that was an impossible thing. But it was made possible by the blood of Jesus. And I believe that that blood is so powerful that, remember, one sin could cancel that salvation if, if it was dependent on you. But it's not dependent on you. Remember what I said at the beginning? The Bible is about God. 
It's about what God has done. We receive the gift of God. We believe that he died for our sins. And the impossible reality is, is that when we have faith in Jesus, he washes away our sins. The logic seems unfair. Someone could say, well, what if I do a bunch of good deeds but don't believe in Jesus? Well, then the Bible says that you're apart from, from God. You're cast out. And then you see someone who doesn't live their life for Jesus all their life, but at the end of their journey confesses Christ and has a genuine conversion. And they're welcomed into heaven. You say, that's unfair. I can't tell you how many times in talking with people they've said, I just can't believe in a God like that. Well, it's the only kind of God I can believe in because I need mercy, and so do you. It's not about how much I do. I know and you know, if we start adding up all the good deeds we've done, if we're honest, we know there are plenty of bad things that cancel that out. No matter who we are, no matter where we're from, there's always that sin that remains unless the blood of Jesus has washed it away. When we remember that, we become a powerful people because we are not a people dependent upon our resources, but we lean wholly on Christ. Now, we'll do that for salvation. I can even get amens for that. But can we believe that that same power that saved us is a power that will cause us to work in the power of the Spirit in this world and change the world for Jesus? The same power that saved you is the power that can drive you forward and take you who you are, who you were made to be, and make you a part of the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom of God here on this earth. The church needs to take this word seriously, that the God who caused the virgin birth and brought us the Son of God that brings us salvation, that God wants to bring us revival, will bring us the power of the Spirit in our midst. We have to stop telling ourselves what can't be done, and we must believe that God can do all things. The Bible is all about God, but I'll tell you, so should be the church. The Bible is all about God, but so should be the church. And I think many times we have made even church work about us, about our agendas, about our pet peeves and what we want. We want the, the church to conform to our image. And I want to tell you, the people who are the worst at this are the pastors. We, we want it to be like what we want it to be. I want you to know I've made those mistakes. I'll still make those mistakes because I'm human. But my heart is, is that we will find God's will for the church. I don't want Jeremy's dream to become a reality. We are nothing until we find God's dream for the congregation. And when we find God's dream, we're going to know that it's bigger than us. It'll stretch us. It's not within the realm of logic or possibility, but it is what God has called us to do. It'll be confirmed in the word. It'll be confirmed in prayer. It'll be confirmed by our leaders and together as a congregation. When God begins to move, it will shake us up. It will push us beyond our limits, just like Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph had a different plan for their lives, but God changed the plan. And they were brave enough to say, yes, Lord. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me. I don't know if you realize this, but she was signing her own death warrant in that day and time. Let it be to me. To accept the, the, the coming of a child in her womb. To allow, to say, yes, God, I will be that person. Remember, in that day, adultery was a, a capital offense. She could have been killed by her elders. Now, that's not okay. 
That element of the culture is not okay in this context. Uh, obviously, there would have been uh, uh, no grace there. So I get that. But I want you to see how brave this was. This wasn't just like, oh, yeah, I- I've decided to follow Jesus. And really, you, don't think of, you can't even think of one consequence. Here in America, there, there, there are very few consequences. Some of you may have had them. Some of you have maybe had to walk away from family. That does happen even in the United States. But in some places in the world, people have to walk away from everything. In this instance, Mary was really walking away from everything. She was giving up her life just as her son would in 33 years give up his life on the cross. Ultimately, to follow Jesus, you have to lay your life down. Impossible things happen when we lay our lives down, when we believe that God is able to do great things in our midst. But as long as you're thinking about it, let me, let me dwell on that for a while, Pastor. Let me, you know, get back with you. Doing impossible things for God, logically, sounds like a good deal. But let me think on it. Well, the more you try to figure it out, the less likely you're to do anything. Believe me, I want you to know that God has a great plan for us and the Christmas story is the beginning of the gospel story. But this idea of doing impossible things for God and impossible things being made possible, that's the beginning of our story. That's the beginning of our faith. If we are a saved, called out people, we have to live with faith like Mary and Joseph had. We must take God's word as a gift from God, just like a a message from an angel. Do you realize that? You're probably not getting invaded by angelic hosts, you know, night to night, because you don't need it. It's right here. God's word is telling you the power you have in his name, and we're just not receiving it. We're not taking the word quite literally when Jesus spoke of greater things that we would do in his name. We're not taking that literally, but we ought to. We should. And this morning, if you're here and you're not a believer, I want you to know your sins are many, but God's mercy is more. That great song, his mercy is more. I hope you realize that. It may seem impossible, but God's mercy is so strong that even your sins can be washed away. You need a savior. And if you're entertaining that thought as a, as a person, not of faith, I want you to realize that that thought is in your mind, not because I'm speaking of it, but I believe the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Spirit is at work in your heart, calling you to belief, calling you to faith, and you must stop pushing back against God. You need to surrender and let Christ come in. But I want to say this to you, many of you who are like me, Many of you who have long ago professed faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just ask you a question. When did you stop believing that God can do impossible things? When did you give up on the dream that God gave you for your life? Why do you think that great things can't happen anymore either in your heart or in your sphere of influence, or in your church. Maybe you haven't said it out loud, but down deep inside, you keep saying, I don't know that I'll ever see God move. I want to tell you, when you say things like that, that's not the spirit. That's the enemy. When it's the spirit, you will hope all things. You will believe all things. Church, we have to recapture this basic faith of Mary. 
We have to stop making excuses and be a people of faith. It's time for us to see impossible things made possible. And I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you before you leave here today to either trust in Christ and be saved or to start living like you've trusted in Christ and are saved. Imagine the possibilities of the power of God at work in you and in us. That's what we're after here. And that's what we believe is possible by the work of God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.